Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. I'd like to start our Bible study off with a question. You know, it's a question we tend to ponder from time to time. It's a question maybe you do or do not ponder, but I think we've all faced it. You go, Ben, we'll get to the question. Well, here's my question. Have you ever been afraid or fearful? You go, gosh, that's, yes, of course. Has that, has that fear ever turned to panic? I know there's people out there who go through panic modes and they, I mean, it's a real thing. I looked it up on the internet. It was like, wow, that's, it's, it's a very real thing. Right. And I'm pretty sure that we've all felt that in one time or another. Right. Whether it's fearful or or being afraid. And there are those times in life where, to be honest with you, sometimes fear renders us paralyzed. I mean, we just cannot move. We cannot seem to go forward. Right. We can't move. We can't breathe. We don't know exactly what's happening. All we know is I don't like this. I do not like this. And of course, as I was thinking about fear, it reminded me of this cute story. It was a five-year-old by the name of Johnny. All five-year-olds are named Johnny, by the way. And Johnny was in the kitchen as his mother made supper. And she asked little Johnny to go into the pantry to get a can of tomato soup. But he didn't want to go in alone. It's dark in there, and I'm scared. And she asked again, and he persisted. Finally, he said, finally she said, it's okay. Jesus will be in there with you. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So Johnny walked hesitantly to the door. He opened it. He peeked inside, saw that it was dark, and started to leave when all at once an idea came to him. And he said, quote, Jesus, if you're in there, would you hand me that can of tomato soup? (laughs) Right? Isn't that a cute story? I mean, when it comes to fear, I mean, that's, I, that's, that plays out in my house. I mean, I see that all the time. But it's been said, listen to this quote, man. Jot this down. It might be something you can use later. Uh, think about this. When it comes to fear, here's the quote, right? Sometimes the Lord calms the storm, and sometimes he lets the storm rage, and he calms the child. Let me say that again. Sometimes the Lord calms the storm, and sometimes he lets the storm rage and calms his child. Now, of course, you might be thinking, Pastor, that was a cute story, but what does that have to do, what does this whole introduction have to do with Genesis chapter 15? Well, listen, if you really think about fear, and you think about panic, and you think about being afraid, and even even the cuteness of the little five-year-old going, Jesus, if you're in there, could you hand me that soup? Because he's so afraid. Think about it like this. I believe that it shows that what Abraham might have gone through right after an unprecedented victory over the four kings up north. And bringing victory down, if you will, he brought Lot, his nephew, who was being who was captured. He brings him back. This was unprecedented, guys. This was an amazing victory. And it seems, just by the text, that Abraham might have been just a bit fearful that retaliation was going to happen. He might have come back and been like, okay, here's what I got to do. But what I want to do, guys, before we jump into our story, I want to go back just a little bit, and I want to recap, and I want to share with you just a little bit of what we learned so that everybody's on the same page. Okay, first and foremost, we got to have an outline of the book of Genesis. If you recall, it's about a story, several stories, if you will. It's about his story, but we know that we started with the creation story. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You go, amen, pastor. Then we talked about Adam and Eve's story. 
And that went from Genesis chapter 2 all the way to Genesis chapter 5. Then we were introduced to a man named Noah, and we knew about Noah's story. From Noah's story, we walked with him a little bit. We went through the whole flood. Then we came to Abraham's story, and we're in the middle of Abraham's story right now. Abraham's story goes all the way to chapter 25, verse 18, and then we're introduced to Isaac, and we'll hang out with Isaac for a little bit. And then from chapter 28 all the way to 36, we'll see Jacob's story. So you got Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And then last but not least, we'll finish off this section probably in about a year. We'll see Joseph's story in chapter 37 to chapter 50. So you have all of these stories, right? Now, what we've talked about, we remembered in the first two chapters of this book is that was probably the most amazing two chapters in all of history, is it not? And God created, and there's this beautiful garden, and it's just, it's just so awesome. And God created the heavens and the earth, and then he made man, and starting in Genesis chapter 3, that's when things went downhill, right? Because in chapter 3, we discover sin entered the world, and it fractures everything, and it fractures everyone. Our problem is that in Genesis chapter 3 has been so far removed, we forget the, the effects, we forget the consequences of sin. And so for you and I, there are times when we go, oh, I, it, it'll be okay. Why? Because I don't remember that it's fractured me, it's fractured the world, it's fractured everything. And we realize, oh, it has. Sin stinks. And then later on, guys, we learned that man had become evil and wicked, and it didn't take very long. And God called Noah to his instrument as his instrument of righteousness. He told him to build an ark, that God was going to flood the earth, and he was going to kill everyone and everything on the earth. Only those who were in the ark would be saved. Now, here's what I, you guys tracking with me, right? You guys remember that. You go, yeah, Ben, why do you have to go back? Here's why. Sometimes in the Word of God, it's just, it's just there's some things that you read and you read and you read and then it pops out and you're like, whoa, I didn't see this. Check this out. Check this out. It says that God says, Noah, you're going to build an ark and whoever gets in the ark is going to be saved, right? Noah. Now, man today is just as wicked as he was back in Noah's day. You guys with me? Do you remember what Jesus says? Jesus is speaking this, and he, in Luke chapter 17, listen to this, verse 26. He says, as it was in the days of Noah, it will also be in the days of the Son of Man. Okay? So we go, oh, yeah, yeah. And we use that even today. We go, as it was in the days, of, we're like in living in the days of Noah, right? There's wig. And, 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 and think about this, guys. Now, as I read this the other day, something jumped out at me. Okay? And we can agree that we're in the days of Noah. Can I get an amen? In those days before the flood, what was happening? People were enjoying banquets. They were enjoying parties. They were having weddings right up until the time that Noah entered his gigantic ark. Well, Jesus continues, and in Luke chapter 17, verse 28, it says this, Likewise, everybody say likewise, as it was in the days of Lot. And I was like, what? You see, he talked about Noah, and then he says, likewise, as in the days of Lot. And that thing just jumped off the page. Why? He goes, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. And on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven, and it destroyed them all. 
You go, Ben, what are you, what are you, what are you, what are you getting at? Listen, we often say, hey, it's like in the days of Noah. How do we know? Because people are still getting married and things, people are still going to parties and we're still having fun. But the word of God just declared to you and me that we're probably living now. We've transitioned from the days of Lot, I mean from Noah, and we're now living in the days of Lot. And it's just like, it's a whole different ball game. You see, because a lot of times we want to live in the days of Noah. We go, okay, things weren't that bad. The 80s were pretty cool. 90s are all right. But guys, we're already going to be 2020 pretty soon. And we're living in the days of Lot. And I'm thinking, wow, that just jumped out, right? We've moved from Noah's time now into Lot's time. And the next thing that we saw in both cases, guys, it was God's judgment on the sinful world. You guys are tracking with me, right? When it came to Noah, right, what happened? God judged the world by flooding it, right? And and then the word of God just said what happened is as soon as Lot walked out of Sodom, he didn't turn around, his wife turned around, right? But it's, it's judgment. He said it rained fire and brimstone from heaven, and it destroyed them all. Now, here's what really blew my mind. As I studied this this morning, guys, I found this this interesting article. And the article said there are four signs that a country is becoming like Sodom. Four signs. You can jot these down, put them somewhere in your Bible. Let me give them to you. These are four signs a country is becoming like Sodom. You go, what is that? Jot this down. Number one, compromising with sin. Compromising with sin. See, the Bible says before Sodom and Gomorrah were going to be destroyed by fire, that the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. You go, Ben, I think that's our, that's our newspaper. That's our, that's our news. We're, we're compromising with sin. And you go, and, and, and listen, as much as we're still, God bless America, and we're still, you know, considered a Christian nation, and we're still, here's the thing, guys, we, we, we're just, we're great sinners against the Lord. And another thing that pops out is that all sin is against the Lord. And when we sin and we choose to sin, and we choose to walk that path. We need to realize that, yeah, I may be sinning against my brother, but all sin is against the Lord. And they have wicked men. And I think that's the first thing that we see our country doing, guys, is compromising with sin. But let me take it even a step further. Are you compromising with sin in your walk? Are you allowing, Lord, guys, the world and the things of the world to start to begin to compromise who you are and, and, and again, that's where it starts, right? You go, okay, okay, I get it. What's the second thing? Jot this down. Number two, it says declining morality. Declining morality, right? You go, Ben, boop, no brainer. Yeah, exactly. I want you to think about something right now. Think about the shows 50 years ago. Think about the shows, Okay. The one that comes to my mind was Andy Griffith. Do you remember Andy Griffith and Mayberry? Now, I know these kids don't know unless it's reruns or something. They have no clue who Andy Griffith is. But think about it, guys. What a great show that is. It taught moral values. They didn't show anything weird. There wasn't any. I mean, that was 50 years ago. And, guys, here's what our kids, this one right here, here's what they're growing up to. Okay? 50 years later, if you will, think about it compared to the shows today. 
Can I beg you, church? Can I beg you, parents? We have to be so careful not to just go, yeah, it's fine. It's a culture we live in. Because the shows today are continually just, just what? Decline in morality. Guys, we've lost our moral compass. Stephen told me something today that just, I could not, I mean, I believe it, but I'm just, I'm just, it's crazy. We've lost our moral compass. It's not going to be God bless America anymore because we've lost our moral compass. And guys, that can happen to our walks too, can it not? We can just, well, it's on TV, it's on the internet, I can watch it. I can watch it. You go, what up? What's next? You can jot this down, guys. How about this? Corrupt leadership. The third is corrupt leadership, right? Seems like everything is about money these days. You ever have that conversation? You go, why did they do that? It's about money. They want to make more money, right? Listen to this. One company was recently found guilty of burning their own warehouse down in order to collect on the insurance to build a newer and better one. It's corrupt leadership. Can I just say this? Guys, we are so busy with our lives that when stuff is going around in our leadership, in the leadership of the nation, we're busy just trying to make ends meet. We're busy just trying to get through the day. And we're busy trying to raise our family that we just go, oh, yeah, well, that's, that's politics. That's whatever. And, and we have corrupt, and we're headed back that way. And then last but not least, let me give you the fourth sign according to this article. It said, what's good is evil. What's good is evil. Think about the two angels, guys, that came to Sodom. You guys remember that? It was just, that's, that's just, that's crazy. The two angels that came in, you guys know the story. Lot says, no, 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 we're going to stay at the open square. We're cool. This is good. And he's like, no, I insist. Come to my house. And then everything just went crazy after that. If you recall, the people, and it said all young and old, they were clamoring at the door. Bring out those men. Bring out those men that we may know them. And you guys know what that means. It was just, it's like, what? And he says, he says, no, my brothers. Don't do this. I have two daughters who have not known a man. Do whatever you want to do to them. What? Well, there, there, there it all is, right? The declining morality. And the angels, what did he do? He blinded them, and they were still crawling to the door. That's Genesis 19. We'll get to that in a couple of months. Those are four signs. Woe to you, the Bible says, who call good evil and evil good. And I think we see that. And so we're not only living in the days of Noah, we're living in the days of Lot. It's happening, guys. It's happening. What does that mean? Let me give you some, let me give you some encouragement. Guys, keep your head up. Keep looking up for your redemption draws nigh. I know. I know you have plans. I know you want to buy houses. And, you, and there's nothing wrong with that. But keep looking up. Because Jesus could come back for us at any moment. That's the home run. That's what we're looking for. Well, pastor, but, but I want to have babies and, and I want to have a husband and I want to have a wife and I want to I do all kinds of stuff and I want my career. 
Wonderful. As long as God tarries, amen. But, but guys, what you have is today. Enjoy today. Enjoy your life today. That's what we got to do, guys. Surround yourself with good friends and laugh. Enjoy your life today. You know what? We need to just, we need to just, could we agree? We need to cut the drama out of our lives. I mean, that's just, we don't need that because it's just, it's just, it just brings us down. Okay, so I'm, I'm on a soapbox. Sorry. Go back to the word. Go back to the word. So we say goodbye to Noah. Right after the flood, and we reduced to Abraham, right? And we're three chapters in the story of Abraham. Now, two weeks ago, we left off in chapter 14. What was chapter 14? Well, you had four kings coming down to make war with five kings. The four kings are from Ham, keep that in mind, and the five kings were from the descendants of Shem. Okay, Japheth is not there yet. He's kind of run off and done his other thing. But what happens is Lot, these, these kings come down. There's a war that's going on in the land of Canaan. Guess where Lot is? Lot is a casualty of war. He gets caught up in this, right? And so he's taken with his family. Uncle Abram learns about it. Guess what he does? He calls 318 of his men, his servants, if you will, and he travels 240 miles on foot from his home to save Lot. To save Lot. Doesn't that blow your mind? Listen. <laughs> Klein's Corners. Anybody know where Klein's Corners is from here? Some of us do. That's about 240 miles. You ready to walk to Klein's Corners? You're like, no. Uh-uh. I mean, think about it. But here's what I love. My Jesus, he loved you so much that he left heaven to come and save you and to rescue you. I can I can sleep with that. I can I can rest in that. Why? He goes. You know what, Melissa? I love you so much. I'm going to leave heaven. Heaven is a beautiful place, but I want you there, and so I'm going to come down to earth. Right, Ryan? I, I love you so much. I'm coming down, Becky. I'm coming. I'm going. But but Lord, heaven. I mean, where is that? He says, I don't care. There's nowhere too far that I won't travel to save you. Evidenced on Sunday morning when a group of people stood right here and prayed to receive Jesus. He's still saving people, folks. He's still saving people. Well, Pastor, what should I do? Let's get in with God. Lord, where are you? That's where I want to be. He's still saving. That's where I want to be. Bring my friend. He's going to save people. Dustin, right? Calvary Chapel got saved, got baptized, you know. Three, God, I mean, it's, this is just amazing. Why? That's ministry, guys. That's ministry. Everything that has happened. Harley got baptized here. It was amazing. It was amazing. You know what baptism is? They're saying, I'm making a dedication. Look at this. Look at this. Look. The young people are here on a Wednesday night. Okay, tell me about God. Tell me about God. I want to learn. God traveled. And God's with him, right? Abraham wins. An amazing victory. And Abraham won and is now on his way home. Okay, so is he coming back? He's bringing all the goods. He's all the people. Nephews comes back. Guess what happens? Two kings come out to meet him. Do you guys remember who they were? Bera, king of Sodom. Boo. Right? Melchizedek, 
king and priest of Salem. Yay, right? Amazing. And in verse 21, it says, the king of Sodom said to Abraham, keep the loot, but give me back my people. And Abraham said, no, 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 no. I solemnly swear before the Lord, the most high God, maker of heaven and earth, that I will not keep anything of yours, not even a thread or a sandal strap. Then you can never say, I am the one who made Abraham rich. In other words, Abraham says, listen, I didn't go do that to, to get loot. I didn't go up to get rich. I'm already rich. And he's like, keep it, keep it. And he says, no, no. He says, here's the only thing. I will take nothing for myself. I will accept only what my men have used and let my allies, you know, Aner, Eshkol, and Mamre take of their share. That's integrity. That is Abraham becoming a mature Christian. I already have. I'm not going to say that the king of Sodom, Bera, made me rich, made me rich. So what happens, church? We have one amazing victory. Lot is home. People are home. God has moved in a mighty way on the behalf of Abraham. So now we come to chapter 15, verse 1. It says, after these things, what things? Everything we just talked about, right? All of that whole victory. The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. Woo! Isn't that amazing? Why? Verse 1 jumps out so incredibly to us. Why? Think about that. Right after the amazing victory, the word of the Lord comes to Abraham. Everybody catch that. After amazing victory, God's word comes to him. Now, here's what I want to chat about for just a moment. We know and we've learned that after an amazing victory, we get attacked. We know the king of Sodom is coming. Beer comes. I mean, the moment you come off that high mountain, are you kidding me? Right? People get saved. I'm telling you, it happened on Sunday. It happened to me right there. In the same. People get saved. It was Easter. It was resurrection. And the devil used somebody to try to bring me down. Boom. Barak. King of Sodom right there. What? Are you serious? But I love this. Because God comes as well to encourage us. God comes as well, right? And so what I needed to do is focus on listening to the Lord. Focus on listening to God, not into, not into the people, not into the haters. Haters are going to hate, amen? amen? I mean, they just are. And people are going to be people. And the Bible says we wrestle against not flesh and blood. We need to recognize that. And so God comes and he ministers to us and he reminds us, did you see? Did you see? Did you see the people who... I did that, Ben. Amen, Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, how did... Ben, 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 question. How does God speak to Abram? Well, the Bible says he comes in a vision. In a vision. Okay? I've only had a couple of visions in my life that I'm pretty much sure was a vision. One of them was a dream. I know there was two dreams. One was a, there was two visions, and and man, it, it's just like I, that's how God speaks, and I, I and I can't explain it, but I know I see into the future, and I and it's some of it scares me. I got to be honest with you. I try not to tell anybody. You know, you saw a vision. I saw a vision. Yeah, you don't want to know. You know, it's not good. Some of it was good. Some of it was good. But God comes to Abraham in a vision. Here's my question to you. Here's my question to you. How does the word of the Lord come to us? How does the word of the Lord come to us? See, God is talking and he's fellowshipping with Abraham through a vision. This is what's going on. But listen to me. God speaks to us amazingly through the reading of his word. Through the reading of his word. 
I know that there's a lot of A personalities in here when you read the word of God, but sometimes we just need to read the word. And, and I have a hard time reading the word because I want to pull stuff out and I want to study it and I want to see how it ties in here and I, want to, and I end up studying, but sometimes God just said, just read, this is me, just read, just read. Because he wants to fellowship with me like he did Abraham. So the question is to you, hello, how does God's word, how does the word of the Lord come to you? A lot of it could be teaching. See, guys, I'm going to say this again, and I keep saying it. We, we, do, we do worship, right? We, we do worship so that our hearts can be open to receive the word of God. And it's so important. And I know a lot of people use that as, oh, that's just singing. I'll get there when I get there. And as long as, no, 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 here's the thing. It's the time where God begins to speak through the songs and through the words and your heart begins to open a little bit. And the pastor gets up here, regardless of who it is, begins to expound the word. And all of a sudden you're asking, okay, what am I supposed to learn? Well, the Bible says the Holy Spirit is the teacher. So as you begin to learn, you go, oh, it wasn't Ben. God spoke to me. And as I walk out the door, you go, hey, man, you know what God said? He said this, this, and this. I love that in your sermon. I'm going, I didn't say that. That's nowhere in my notes. So what happened? The Holy Spirit spoke to you, and now you can go. Because listen, every one of us in this room is dealing with life in a different way, and you need God to speak to you. But the problem is, as we come into church on a Wednesday night, it's been a busy week. We come sit down. All right. I wonder how long he's going to go tonight. I wonder if Taco Villa is going to be open after this. Oh, I forgot that report. Oh, my goodness. I got it. You know, and, and we miss what God has for us. We miss what God has for us. And so again, God speaks through us. Well, what is God saying? Guys, check it out. He calls, he calls him by name. Don't you love that? He says, Abram. I love that he knows my name. He knows your name. And what does he say? What's his rap? Look at this, guys. He says, Abram, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Okay? Turn to your neighbor and say, don't be afraid. Why would he say that? Why is this important? Why would you tell somebody not to be afraid? Well, pastor, you just said, no, no, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is when you tell somebody to be afraid, it's because they're normally, yeah, you guys are smart. A plus students. I wonder if Abram, guys, might have been super fearful and even panicking right now. And he might be thinking, because that's the truth, right? Oh, man. Oh, man, we had this great victory. They're going to retaliate. Sarah, what have I done? What have I done? I, need, I mean, I know I needed to get Lot back, but, man, God just, he just conquered everybody, and he's probably gaining forces, and he's going to come back, and I'm looking at my kids. I'm looking at my servants. I'm looking at y'all, and, you know, do you feel that? Do you feel his heart? He's probably afraid. He's probably kind of freaked out. And then I'm thinking, is he going to have to live, guys? Is he going to have to live, right? Just in fear, thinking those kings might attack me at any time. Whoa. I wonder if Abraham's a little bit panicking right now. You ever... You ever get in a fight in school? No, pastor. Okay, good. You guys are awesome. But if you ever got in a fight in school and you actually won, 
and it was an unprecedented, I mean, you like didn't get a chance, you often thought maybe he's going to come back or they're gonna, she's going to come back and I'm going to have to fight this thing again. I think that's what Abraham's feeling, right? And, and so I, I wonder, how does God handle our panic? When we're like that, how does God handle it? Well, I think the answer is found in this verse. Notice what he says. He says, Abraham, don't be afraid. Yes, sir. He says, Abraham, yes, sir. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. Did you guys catch that? You go, what is it? Guys, this is a promise from God. This is a promise from God. What's the promise? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Abraham, I am your shield. And I am your great reward. I love the word. I love that he employed the reward. Why? Because the king of, of Sodom was going, hey, here's a reward for going out. Keep the loot. And he's like, no, I don't want your loot. And God goes, no, no, no. I am your reward. I am your reward. Right? For that victory. So if you're taking note, will you jot this down? God answers panic with the promise. God answers panic with the promise. A promise. And if you're taking note also, you can jot this down in your Bible. This is the first time do not be afraid is mentioned. The first time. The law's first mention is that whenever it's mentioned the first time, context, you got to go, what's the context? Okay? In the context, we know that it was after a great victory over our enemies. He says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Right? And I know what you're thinking. Who else do, comes to mind after a great victory? Right? We know it's Elijah. Right? You remember the great victory at Mount Carmel? I don't have time to go into it, but I know that he had this gigantic victory over, over the Baals. I mean, you guys know that. And then in 1 Kings chapter 19, it says, And Ahab told Jezebel all Elijah had done and how he had executed all the prophets of the sword. And Jezebel sent a message to Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. She goes, I'm going to kill you. How'd you like to get that phone call? Elijah's had this great victory. God, you shut up in an amazing way. This is amazing. This is so cool. Praise the Lord. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. You guys are so excited. And then you, the phone rings and it's like, hey, I know what you did. I'm going to kill you. I mean, that's exactly what happened, right? So when he saw that, he arose and he ran for his life. This is Elijah. He ran for his life, went to Beersheba, which is, belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came and sat down under the broom tree. And he prayed that he might die. And he said, it is enough. Now, Lord, take my life. For I'm no better than my father's. Then as he lay and slept under the broom tree, suddenly the angel touched him. And he said, arise and eat. Can you imagine the great prophet Elijah freaked out after a great victory? And he ran and he said, just kill me now. Just kill me now. I'm done. And I'm thinking about this, guys. I'm thinking, wow. Wow, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. God's with us. Hey, are you fearful about tomorrow? Don't worry about it. Let me say this. Are you fearful about what people think? Don't worry about it. God says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I got you. I think we get this feeling that God freaks out, like like God is stunned about some of our lives, you know? And God's like, oh, I didn't see that happening. Whew. Gabriel, get over here. God knows. He says, oh, yeah, I know. I got you, sis, I got you. God knows. He says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Fear not. Fear not. 
So God answers our fear, guys, with a promise. But what was Abram's response? Look at verse 2. Oh, my goodness, we've only covered two verses. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing as I go childless? And the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. Okay, check it out. Abraham is perplexed about life. Don't be afraid. Okay, God, I'm not going to be afraid. He says, but, but what is my reward? If you're my shield and you're my reward, what is my reward? What could God give Abram that he didn't already have? See, in your mind, reward plays that, that huge connotation of money. Abram's rich. God, what are you, you going to give me? Oh, God? Yes, sir. How about a child? How about a child? Because if you don't, all my money will go to Eliezer of Damascus. You guys with me? Are you tracking? Here's the thing. A quick thought on that. I read one school of thought that I found was very interesting on this, okay? One school of thought is why not, uh, basically, is why not give the inheritance to Lot? That's what they would say, right? That's his nephew. God, if I'm not going to have a kid, why would he say Eliezer of Damascus? Well, one commentator said this. Damascus was the prime financial capital of the city at that time, okay? And it was the, it was the capital of commerce of that day, Damascus. If you go to Israel today, you can actually see Syria and almost see Damascus. But think about it back then. It was the, uh, what, what is the great financial institutions of our, of our, is New York? I'm sorry, Wall Street, good. So Abraham was telling God, he's like saying, listen, if I don't have a child, he says, my heir is going to be Bank of America. Or my money is going to go to Wall Street. In other words, it's going to go back into Eleazar of Damascus. I thought that was interesting. I was like, huh. So he's telling God, I don't. And so what Abraham does is he says, let me remember the promise of Genesis chapter 12. He says, so Abraham said, now he's talking to God now. Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. But who was born in his house? Well, he's not talking about a, a physical heir right now, right? So he would say, so, so the commentator would say, this would be one of my servants would actually be the heir. He would actually be one to get this. He would be my heir. He says, look, you've, I don't have any kids. Now, I love, 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 love this next verse. And you go, Why? Because I want you to note right here, guys, I want you to note in verse 4 just how wonderful and amazing, and I just want you to see, okay? I want you to see this. I want you to know how our God responds. He doesn't respond with an explanation. He actually responds with another promise. You go, why is that important? Because, I mean, think about it. Here's Abraham going, God, what are you going to give me? I, I have enough money. I have enough sheep, camels. Look at this. I'm good. Give me a kid. You Give me a kid or... Or the bank's going to get all my money. Or, or my servant's going to be the one. Give me a kid. Now, what would we expect? We would expect an explanation. Tell me why I don't have a child, dude. God doesn't respond that way. He just responds with another promise. Look at verse 4. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one will come from your own body shall be your heir. You go, what? This is why I love this. Because right here, guys, God shows himself as gracious and loving and patient. He doesn't get exasperated with us. Even when we go, God, why is this not working out? God, why, why can't we do this? God, why is this not happening? Why, why, why? God's not like going, 
Really, if you ask why one more time, Joe, you and I are going to the woodshed. He doesn't do that. Why? Because he loves us. He says, I know. I know you have questions. I know you're wondering. I know you don't see like I see. But trust me, how am I going to respond? I'm going to respond with a promise. I'm going to respond with a promise. Now, let me illustrate it this way. Okay, you guys want he, he He responds with another promise. And I need to illustrate it like this, okay? When Nathalie and I went to the doctor, we went to the doctor because she had, she had cancer, okay? She had breast cancer. So we go to the doctor. We finally felt comfortable with the doctor, okay? So... What she does is she says, okay, here it is. And she, full disclosure, she gives, she shows him everything and the cancer and all this. And he's looking at the labs. And the one thing he didn't sit there and try to explain to us what had happened. We knew what had happened. But you know what he did do? He said, you know what, Nathalie? It's going to be all right. We're going to take care of this. You're going to be fine. That's what God does. Even though he was a doctor, he didn't say, well, let me explain how cancer works. So you did this and this, this, and this, how it works. I don't even know the lingo, right? the, the, the oncologist lingo. But he just looked at us and he said, I'm going to respond with this. It's going to be okay. You're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. That's what God does with us, guys. That's what God does. And I was like, wow, that, he just said she's going to be okay. She's going to be okay. Verse 5, and when he brought him outside, he said, look, now toward heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said, so shall your descendants be. Now look at verse 6. And he believed in the Lord and he accounted to him for, he accounted it him to for righteousness. This is amazing. This is amazing. Abraham, you don't believe me? Come with me, son. <laughs> look at the stars. That's what your descendants are going to be like. Here's what I'd like to see. You're a spiritual descendant of Abraham. He was looking at you. He's like, listen, Abraham, you're not going to see this, but there you are. Miss Tiffany, you're a spiritual descendant of Abraham. He's looking right at you. Kind of makes us stars, doesn't it? I like that. I'm a star. Right. I love it. Abraham had a choice at this point, guys. And he believed the Lord, and God accounted it to him for righteousness. This is amazing. Keep this in mind. God made a promise. Can I get an amen? amen. But guys, it didn't happen until 15 years later. Let the weight of that sink in. God, you promised. You promised, Lord, you promised. We just talked five minutes ago. Give me some time. It took Abraham five years. He held on to that promise. Brothers and sisters, don't give up on the promise God has for you. Don't. Don't let the devil rob you of your joy while you're waiting for his promise. We know what happened to Abraham, didn't we? He took matters in his own hand. Different sermon. But I'm telling you, the promises that God gives you, wait on them. Stand on them. And if it takes 15 years, blessed be the name of the Lord. That's what he's saying. And it said, I'm going to set a pattern for you guys to believe. You go, what's that? Here's the pattern for us to be saved. Faith, Abraham believed, justification, and righteousness. Faith, justification, and righteousness. Again, verse 6, Abraham believed God. He believed 
and he accounted to him for righteousness. Guys, this is the first occurrence of the vital and soul condition of salvation. That's what it means to be saved. What is it? You have to believe. You have to have faith. Okay? And you have, and you're justified by faith. And you're counted into righteousness. I don't see any works in that, do you? I don't see that God owes me anything. He just said, believe. Believe. You know what you're called to do, guys? If you'll do this, if you'll take an oath today, say, God, I'm going to just love you, Jesus, more than anything. That's my job. I'm not going to worry about this and that. Listen, if you love the Lord Jesus with all of your heart, you will serve. Your words will be, yes, pastor, whatever you need. Not because of who we are, the church, or anything else, because you love Jesus. And that's where we miss it, guys. All we do is call to love Jesus. It's called to love Jesus. I wish somebody would have told me that because when I got saved at 17, I thought I had to change everything. I had long hair, rock star hair, man. I had all this stuff, and I thought, well, now you got to cut your hair. Why do I have to cut my hair? Some lady named Grace just really, (laughs) believe it or not, throwing Bible verses at me. I was just like, I wish somebody said, all you have to do is love Jesus, bro. You're going to make mistakes, but all you have to do is love Jesus. Okay. Okay. Let me just say this to you guys. Justification by faith. Justification by faith. Rest in that. Rest in that. Well, it goes on, guys, and we see, we're going to see that God actually predicts their captivity. Look at verse 7. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you the land to inherit it. Now, this is verses power packed. Why? Because I am the Lord. Okay? Now, here's what I want you to do. When doubt comes in your life, when doubt comes in, remember he is the Lord. He is the Lord. I, I forget that a lot. I forget that a lot, that he's God. And the thing about it is that now he says, I am the one who brought you out of the Ur of Chaldea. Abraham, you remember? Right? Remember? I redeemed you. That's a good word, redeemed. Now, I have homework for you. Okay, you got to jot this down. Okay. Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 10. I want you to look it up later. I want you to read it. And you go, why? Because this is exactly what he's talking about. He says, listen, I am the Lord who brought you out of the earth's Chaldees. I've redeemed you. I've positioned you different. I was going to give it to you, but man, we ran out of time. So you guys do homework. Do homework. There'll be a test next week. What was Abraham's response? Look at verse 8 with me, guys. And he said, help me here, guys. Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? Can you help me here, guys? What is Abraham asking for? He's, he's asking, right? Let's read it again. And he said, Lord God, how shall I know, what, that, know that I will inherit it? He's asking for a, a sign. Who said sign? He's asking for a sign, isn't he? God, how am I going to know? Listen, Lord, I love you, but all this talk... It don't mean anything to me. I need a sign. Anybody like that? Anybody like that? Lord God, if you'll just make that bottle tip over just like this and the water spill this way, I'll know you're God. Right? What are some of the craziest things you've asked the Lord? We don't have time for that. I'm just saying. <laughs> sign is actually used 83 times in the Bible. And the one that stands out, if you guys remember, is in Judges chapter 6, right? Gideon. Remember, he's asking for a sign with the whole fleece thing. And, and I love uh, having a fleece. 
But sometimes I believe that God just gets so, he gets so bugged with me because I keep asking, God, if this is real, please, you know. And God's like, dude, trust me. Trust me. Well, you just, how, how will I know, Lord? That's what he's asking for a sign. Remember Jesus. What did Jesus tell us in Matthew chapter 12? He said, some of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law said to him, Jesus, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. And Jesus answered, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. So, so Jesus calls him out. He said, no, you don't need a sign. Why don't we need a sign? Because we have his word, don't we? I still like signs, i got to be honest with you. How many, let, let me just add this, right? How many of you ever asked for a sign and God gave you a sign? You've asked for it and God, you raise your hand. Yeah? You asked for a sign, God gave you a sign? How many of you ever took that sign and said, oh, that was just uh, coincidence? That was just coincidence. We do that all the time, don't we? We do. We sort of rationalize it in our mind. God, this is what I asked for. God did it. And I go, well... That was happenstance, wasn't that? God, God really did that? Now, what do you think, Ellie? You think God? I don't know. Well, did you ask? Yeah, I asked, but <laughs> I know I'll ask for another sign. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Just trust the Lord. Ben, trust the Lord. So we said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer. A three-year-old female goat. Remember, they sacrificed heifers, okay? So you wonder where the red heifers come from here in the third temple. It's back from sacrificial. Three-year-old female goat, three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him, and he cut them in two down the middle and placed each opposite of the other. And he did not cut the birds in two. And when the vultures came down on the carcasses, because the vultures are always there, Abraham drove them away. And now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. Can you imagine? God's going to get, this is the covenant, man, but he's about to share some stuff. And, and here's what you need to see. Guys, look at verse 12. Okay, so Abraham probably just falls in this deep sleep, but I think it's more like anesthesia. You guys know what I'm talking about? Ever been where you, you're asleep, but you can still hear and you can, I think it's kind of like that because Abraham's still, he's still talking to God. But it says, and great darkness fell upon him. Everybody see that? Great darkness fell upon him. And I was thinking maybe, maybe this was so he would know the severity of the Egyptian bondage. Right? Maybe. Why? Because you know that was one of the ten plagues. Great darkness. And so he says, Abram. Take these down. So Abram does. And then, here from verses 13 through 17, as we keep moving forward, we're going to see a sevenfold prophecy from God. Okay, so it changes just a little bit. He said to Abram, now remember, he's, he's, he's preparing the covenant. And he says, Abram, know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and will serve them, and they will afflict them 400 years. And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. Afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. Now, as for you, you're going to go to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried at a good old age, 
But in the fourth generation they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And it came to pass, when the sun went down and it was dark, that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. You go, well, Ben, what was the sevenfold what was the sevenfold prophecy? Jot this down. Number one, he says, You're gonna be strangers. You're gonna be your, your descendants are gonna be strangers, Abraham. They're gonna be strangers. That's that's number one. They're going to be in a strange land. Number two, he says, they will serve the Egyptians. They will serve the Egyptians. Number three, they will be afflicted for 400 years. Wow. Then he says, God will judge the nation. How is he going to judge that nation? We have the 10 plagues, one of them being darkness. Okay. Number five, Israel will come out with great possessions. If you happen to watch the Ten Commandments last Saturday night, it was the spoils of Egypt. They came out with that. It was all the spoils of Egypt that probably were put together that made the great golden calf. Number six, he says, Abraham, here's your deal. You're going to die before all of this, and you will be at peace. You're going to rest with your fathers. And then number seven, he says, the fourth generation will come back to this land. The fourth generation will come back to this land. Now, here's a quick note, okay? Got all seven? Here's a quick note. In verse 16, it says, 400 years for the iniquity of the Amorites is not complete. Okay, here's the point. Do you realize that God waited 400 years for the Amorites to repent? You go, what does that mean? That's a long time for God to go, wait, it's not done. The iniquity's not done. It's gonna... and, and, and I just thought, this is the heart of God, isn't it? He loves everyone. God is willing that none should perish. I think God gets a bad rap from us sometimes. Don't you agree? So verse 17 is the signed covenant, the Abrahamic covenant. How so? The smoking oven and the burning torch. And see, this is God. I don't know if you catch this, guys, but if you were to sign a contract, if me and Gio were going to sign a contract for something, Gio would have to sign it and I'd have to sign it. That would make it a legal contract. You guys with me? But, But Abraham's asleep. And God passes through. And what's he saying? He says, guys, I know you're not going to hold up your end of the bargain. He says, so I'll sign it for both of us. How wonderful is our God? He's going to sign it for both of us. Let's close, guys. Let's close with the last, with the last verses and then one comment. Verse 18 says, On the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, To your descendants, I have given this land from the river Egypt to the great river Euphrates, the Kenites, the Kezanites, the Catamites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Gergesites, and the Jebusites. And that's kind of where he leaves it before we go into chapter 16. Okay? And so he says, the Lord said, here's your covenant. This is to your descendants. Real quick note. When people say, we want Israel to go back to the 1967 borders, there were no 1967 borders. You need to go all the way back to Genesis 15 because then everything would be Israel's. All of it. Because that's what God had promised them. Question, question, real quick. God promised Israel. Guys, think about it. From the, from the river Euphrates, I mean, all of it. He promised all of that, right? It's called the promised land. Did you know, did you know that at Israel's greatest height, 
when David was king, they actually only possessed 10% of what God had given them. Did you know? Here's the point. God has so much more for you. Are you only possessing 10% of what he's given you? He's given you so much more. And you got to ask the Lord, Lord, what's hindering me from taking the land that you've given me? What am I missing? What am I missing? And then you come to realize, well, it's probably because I'm afraid. I'm fearful. But I love tonight's lesson because it says, because God answers our panic with a promise. He says, don't be afraid. Ben, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Okay, Lord, I'm not afraid, but I'm impatient. Just me? He says, go back to the promise. Go back to the promise I made you. Do you remember that quote we started with? Sometimes the Lord will calm the storm. And sometimes he lets the storm rage and he calms you. How can we be so calm? Because we're standing on the promises of God. What's that promise, Ben? He's got a plan and a purpose for your life. He wants to do, gosh, guys, amazing things with you. He wants you to encourage his children. He wants you to love the unlovable. He wants you to go down to Grace Campus and just be a friend to some some folks. He wants you to be a light at your job. He wants you to take the gospel to the schools where they're telling you, you can't bring, you can't bring that stuff in here. You go, yes, I can. He wants you to, he wants to use you. He wants you to raise godly children to be the next generation that takes the gospel. He wants you to be happy. God's not mad at us. He's madly in love with us. Father, we thank you for your word tonight and the truth in your word. We thank you for your great love. Lord, how do we express our heart and our love to you tonight? Lord, this text is so beautiful. I, I, we could have spent days on it, God. But the one thing that I want to walk away from tonight is I don't want to be afraid. Because I have your promise. I'm not afraid. You are my God. You are my king. Father, forgive me for those areas in our lives, God, where we doubt you, where we struggle, where we become impatient, where we become frustrated. Lord, help us to help us to learn to love the moment. Teach us, Lord, how to live how to live the life you want us to live. 
Lord, it's not a cliche, but Lord, teach us to laugh more, to love harder. Spend more time around the kitchen table talking about the things that you've done, God. Love you, Jesus. Love you tonight. It's in your name we pray. Worship Church. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806 799 2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.